Osho. Ah, this. Talks on Zen stories. Given at the Osho Commune International, Pune, India. Discourse number one. Bhagwan. Ascending to the high seat, Dogen Zenji said, Zen Master Hogan studied with Keishin Zenji. Once Keishin Zenji asked him, Josa, where do you go? Hogan said, I am making pilgrimage aimlessly. Keishin said, What is the matter of your pilgrimage? Hogan said, I don't know. Keishin said, Not knowing is the most intimate. Hogan suddenly attained great enlightenment. Zin is just Zin. There is nothing comparable to it. It is unique. Unique in the sense that it is the most ordinary and yet the most extraordinary phenomenon that has happened to human consciousness. It is the most ordinary because it does not believe in knowledge. It does not believe in mind. It is not a philosophy, not a religion either. It is the acceptance of the ordinary existence with a total heart, with one's total being, not desiring for some other world, supramundane, supramental, It has no interest in any esoteric nonsense, no interest in metaphysics at all. It does not hanker for the other sore. This sore is more than enough. Its acceptance of this sore is so tremendous that through that very acceptance it transforms this sore and this very sore becomes the other sore. 
this very body, the Buddha, this very earth, the lotus paradise. Hence it is ordinary. It does not want you to create a certain kind of spirituality, a certain kind of holiness. All that it asks is to live your life with immediacy, spontaneity, and then the mundane becomes the sacred. The great miracle of Zen is in the transformation of the mundane into the sacred. And it is tremendously extraordinary, because this way life has never been approached before. This way life has never been respected before. Zen goes beyond Buddha, and beyond Laosu. It is a culmination, transcendence, both of the Indian genius and the Chinese genius. Indian genius reached its highest peak in Gautam the Buddha, and Chinese genius reached its highest peak in Laosu. And the meeting, the essence of Buddha's teaching, and the essence of Lao Tzu's teaching merged into one stream so deeply that no separation is possible now, even to make a distinction what belongs to Buddha and what to Lao Tzu is impossible. The merger has been so total. It is not only a synthesis, it is an integration. Out of this meeting, Zen was born. Zen is neither Buddhist nor Taoist and yet both. To call Zen, Zen Buddhism is not right, because it is far more. 
Buddha is not so earthly as Zen is. Lao Tzu is tremendously earthly. But Zen is not only earthly, its vision transforms the earth into heaven. Lao Tzu is earthly, Buddha is unearthly, Zen is both, and in being both, it has become the most extraordinary phenomenon. The future of humanity will go more and more closer to the approach of Zen. Because the meeting of the East and West is possible only through something like Zen, which is earthly and yet unearthly. West is very earthly, East is very unearthly. Who is going to become the bridge? Buddha cannot be the bridge. He is so essentially Eastern. The very flavor of the East, the very fragrance of the East, uncompromising. Laosu cannot be the bridge. He is too earthly. China has always been very earthly. China is more part of the Western psyche than of the Eastern psyche. It is not an accident that China is the first country in the East to turn communist, to become materialist, to believe in a godless philosophy, to believe that man is only matter and nothing else. This is not just accidental. China has been earthly for almost 5,000 years. It is very Western. Hence, Lao Tzu cannot become the bridge. He is more like Zorba the Greek. Buddha is so unearthly, you cannot even catch hold of him. How he can become the bridge? When I look all around, Zen seems to be the only possibility. Because in Zen, Buddha and Lao Tzu have become one. The meeting has already happened. The seed is there. The seed of that great bridge 
which can make East and West one. Zen is going to be at the meeting point. It has great future, a great past and a great future. And the miracle is that Zen is neither interested in the past nor in the future. Its total interest is in the present. Maybe that's why the miracle is possible, because the past and the future are bridged by the present. The present is not part of time. Have you ever thought about it? How long is the present? Past has a duration, future has a duration. What is the duration of the present? How long it lasts between the past and the future? Can you measure the present? It is immeasurable. It is almost not. It is time not at all. It is the penetration of eternity into time. And Zen lives in the present. The whole teaching is how to be in the present, how to get out of the past which is no more, and how not to get involved into the future which is not yet, and just to be rooted, centered in that which is. The whole approach of Zen is of immediacy, but because of that it can bridge the past and the future. It can bridge many things. It can bridge the past and the future, it can bridge the East and the West, it can bridge body and soul, it can bridge the unbridgeable worlds, this world and that, the mundane and the sacred. Before we enter into this small anecdote, few things will be good to understand. The first, the masters do not tell the truth, even if they want, they cannot. 
it's impossible then what is their function what they go on doing they cannot tell the truth but they can call forth the truth which is fast asleep in you they can provoke it they can challenge it they can shake you up they can wake you up they cannot give you god truth nirvana because in the first place you already have it all with you you are born with it it is innate it is intrinsic it is your very nature so anybody who pretends to give you the truth is simply exploiting your stupidity your gullibility he is cunning cunning and utterly ignorant too he knows nothing not even a glimpse of truth has happened to him he is a pseudo master truth cannot be given it is already in you it can be called forth it can be provoked a context can be created a certain space can be created in which it rises in you and is no more asleep becomes awakened the function of the master is far more complex than you think it would have been far easier simpler if truth could be conveyed it cannot be conveyed hence indirect ways and means have to be devised the new testament has the beautiful story of lazarus christians have missed the whole point of it Christ is so unfortunate he has fallen in wrong company not even a single christian theologian has been able to discover the meaning of the story of lazarus his death and resurrection 
Lazarus dies, he is the brother of Mary Magdalene and Martha, and a great devotee of Jesus. Jesus is far away. By the time he gets the information and the invitation that come immediately, two days have already passed. And by the time he reaches to the Lazarus place, four days have passed. But Mary and Martha are waiting for him. Their trust is such. The whole village is laughing at them. They are being stupid in others' eyes because they are keeping the corpse in a cave. They are watching day in, day out, guarding the corpse. The corpse has already started stinking. It is deteriorating. The village people are saying that you are fools. Jesus cannot do anything. When somebody is dead, somebody is dead. Jesus comes. He goes to the cave. He does not enter into the cave. He stands out and calls forth Lazarus. The people had gathered, they must be laughing. This man seems to be crazy. Somebody says to him that, what are you doing? He is dead. He has been dead for four days. In fact, to enter into the cave is difficult. His body is stinking. It is impossible. Whom are you calling? But unperturbed, Jesus shouts again and again, Lazarus, come out! And the crowd is far in a great surprise. Lazarus walks out of the cave, shaken, shocked, as if out of a great slumber, as if he had fallen into a coma. He himself cannot believe what has happened. Why he is in the cave? This, in fact, is just a way of saying that what is the function of a master, whether Lazarus was really dead or not, is not the point. Whether Jesus was capable of raising the dead or not is not the point. To get involved into those stupid questions, 
is absurd. Only scholars can be so foolish. No man of understanding will think that this is something historical. It is far more. It is not a fact. It is a truth. It is not something that happens in time. It is something more. Something that happens in eternity. You are all dead. You are all in the same situation as Lazarus. You are all living in your dark caves. You are all stinking and deteriorating. Because death is not something that comes one day suddenly. You are dying every day. Since the day of your birth you have been dying. It is a long process. It takes 70, 80, 90 years to complete it. Each moment something of you dies. Something in you dies. But you are absolutely unaware of the whole situation. You go on as if you are alive. You go on living as if you know what life is. The function of the Master is to call forth, Lazarus, come out of the cave. Come out of your grave. Come out of your death. The Master cannot give you the truth, but he can call forth the truth. He can stir something in you. He can trigger a process in you which will ignite a fire, a flame. Truth you are. Just so much dust has gathered around you. The function of the master is negative. He has to give you a bath, a shower, so the dust disappears. That's exactly the meaning of Christian baptism. That's what John the Baptist was doing in the river Jordan. But people go on misunderstanding. Today also baptism happens in the churches. It is meaningless. John the Baptist was preparing people for an inner bath. When they were ready, he will take them symbolically into the river Jordan. That was only symbolical. 
just as your orange glass are symbolical that bath in the river jordan was symbolical symbolical that the master can give you a bath he can take the dust dust of the centuries away from you and suddenly all is clear all is clarity that clarity is enlightenment the great master dai says all the teachings of the sages of the saints of the masters have expounded no more than this they are commentaries on your sudden cry ah this when suddenly you are clear and a great joy and rejoicing arises in you and your whole being every fiber of your body mind and soul dances and you say ah this hallelujah a great shout of joy arises in your being that is enlightenment suddenly stars come down from the rafters you become part of the eternal dance of existence Odin says dance till the stars come down from the rafters dance 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 till you drop yes it happens it is not something that you have to do it is something that even if you want not to do you will find it impossible you will find it impossible to resist you will have to dance the beauty of this the beauty of now the joy that existence is and the closeness of it yes stars come down from the rafters they are so close you can just touch them you can hold them in your hands dai is right he says all the teachings the sages expounded are no more than commentaries on your sudden cry ah this the whole heart saying aha and the silence that follows it and the peace and the joy and the meeting and the merger
and the orgasmic experience, the ecstasy. Masters don't teach the truth. There is no way to teach it. It is a transmission beyond scriptures, beyond words. It is a transmission. It is energy, provoking energy in you. It is a kind of synchronicity. The Master has disappeared as an ego. He is pure joy. And the disciple sits by the side of the Master. Slowly, slowly, partaking of his joy, of his being, eating and drinking out of that eternal, inexhaustible source, is Dhammo Sanantano. And one day, and one cannot predict when that day comes, it is unpredictable. One day suddenly it has happened, a process has started in you. which reveals the truth of your being to yourself. You come face to face to yourself. God is not somewhere else. He is now here. The Masters illuminate and confirm realization. They illuminate in thousand and one ways. They go on pointing towards the truth, fingers pointing to the moon. But there are many fools who start clinging to the fingers. By clinging to the fingers you will not see the moon, remember. There are even greater fools who start biting the fingers. That is not going to give you any nourishment. Forget the finger and look where it is pointing at. The masters illuminate. They sour great light. They are light. They sour great light on your being. They are like a searchlight. They focus their being on your being. You have lived in darkness for centuries, for millions of lives. Suddenly, a master searchlight starts revealing few forgotten territories in you. They are within you. The Master is not bringing them. He is simply bringing His light. 
he is focusing himself on you and the master can focus only unless the disciple is open unless the disciple is surrendered unless the disciple is ready to learn not to argue unless the disciple has come not to accumulate knowledge but to know truth unless the disciple is not only curious but is a seeker and is ready to risk all even if life has to be risked and sacrificed the disciple is ready in fact when you risk your sleepy life you sacrifice your sleepy life you attain to a totally different quality of life the life of light of love the life which is beyond death beyond time beyond change they illuminate and confirm realization first the master illuminates the way the truth that is within you and secondly when you realize it when you recognize it it is very difficult for you to believe that you have attained it the most unbelievable thing is when realization of truth happens to you because you have been told that it is very difficult almost impossible and it takes millions of lives to arrive at it and you have been told it is somewhere else maybe in the heaven and when you recognize it within yourself how can you believe it the master confirms it he says yes this is it his confirmation is as much needed as his illumination he begins by illuminating and he ends by confirmation the masters are evidence of truth not its proof meditate over the subtle difference between evidence and proof the master is a evidence he is a witness he has seen he has known he has become you can feel it the evidence can be felt you can come closer and closer 
you can allow yourself the fragrance of the master to penetrate to the innermost core of your being the master is only evidence he is not a proof if you want any proof there is no proof god can neither be proved nor disproved it is not an argument god is not a hypothesis it is not a theory it is experience the master is a living evidence but to see it you will need a different approach then you are accustomed of you know how to approach teacher how to approach a professor how to approach a priest they don't require much because they simply impart information which can be done even by a tape recorder or by a computer or by a gramophone records or by a book i was a student in the university i never attended the classes of my professors naturally they were offended and one day the head of the department called me and he said why you have joined the university we never see you you never attend any classes and remember when the examination time comes don't ask for attendance because 75% attendance is a must to enter into the examination i took hold of the hand of that old man and i said you come with me i will show you where i am and why i have entered the university he was a little afraid also where i am taking him and why and it was a well known fact that i am a little eccentric <laughs> he said but where are you taking me I said i will show you that you have to give me 100% attendance you come with me i took him to the library and i told the librarian you tell this old man has there ever been a single day when i have not been in the library the librarian said even on holidays you have been here if the library is not open then this student goes on sitting in the garden of the library but he comes 
and every day we have to tell him that now please you leave because it is closing time. I told to the professor because I find the books far more clear than your so-called professors. And moreover, they simply repeat what is already written in the books. So what is the point to go on listening them? Second hand, I can look in the books directly. I told him, if you can prove that your teachers are teaching something which is not in the books, then I am ready to come to the classes. If you cannot prove, then keep it in mind that you have to give me 100% attendance, otherwise I will create trouble. And I never went to ask him. He gave me 100% attendance. He followed the point. It was so simple. He said, you are right. Why listen to second-hand knowledge? You can go directly to the books. I know those professors. I myself am just a gramophone record. The truth is, he said to me, that for 30 years I have not read anything. I just go on using my old notes. For 30 years he has been teaching the same thing again and again and again. And in 30 years' time, millions of books have been published. You know how to approach a teacher. You know how to approach a book. You know how to approach dead information. But you don't know how to approach a master. It is a totally different way of communing. It is not communication. It is communion. Because the master is not a proof but an evidence. He is not an argument for God. He is a witness for God. He does not possess great knowledge about God. He knows. He is not knowledgeable. He simply knows. Remember, to know about is worthless. The word about means around. To know about something means go on moving in circles, around and around. The word about is beautiful. Whenever you read about, read around. When somebody says, I know about God, read. He knows around God. He goes in a circle. 
and real knowing is never about, never around. It is direct. It is a straight line. Jesus says, straight is the path. It does not go in circles. It is a jump from the periphery to the center. The Master is an evidence of that jump, that quantum leap, that transformation. You have to approach the Master with great love, with great trust, with the open heart. You are not aware who you are. He is aware who He is. He is aware who are you. The caterpillar might be said to be unaware that it may become a butterfly. You are caterpillars, bodhisattvas. All caterpillars are bodhisattvas. And all bodhisattvas are caterpillars. A bodhisattva means one who can become a butterfly. Who can become a Buddha. Who is a Buddha in the seed, in essence. But how the caterpillar can be aware that he can become a butterfly? The only way is to commune with butterflies, to see the butterflies moving in the wind, in the sun. Seeing them soaring high, seeing them moving from one flower to another flower, seeing their beauty, their colors, maybe a deep desire, a longing arises in the caterpillar. Can I also be the same? In that very moment, the caterpillar has started awakening. A process has been triggered. The master-disciple relationship is the relationship between a caterpillar and a butterfly. A friendship between a caterpillar and a butterfly. The butterfly cannot prove that the caterpillar can become a butterfly. There is no logical way. But the butterfly can provoke a longing in the caterpillar. That is possible. The master helps you to reach to your own experience. He does not give you the Vedas, the Quran, the Bible. He throws you to yourself. He makes you aware of your inner sources. He makes you aware of your own juice, of your own godliness.
he liberates you from the scriptures. He liberates you from the interpretation of others. He liberates you from all belief. He liberates you from all speculation, from all guesswork. He liberates you from philosophy and from religion and from theology. He liberates you in sort from the world of words. Because the words is the problem. You become so much obsessed with the word love that you forget that love is an experience, not a word. You become so obsessed with the word God that you forget that God is an experience, not a word. The word God is not God and the word fire is not fire and the word love is not love either. The Master liberates you from words. He liberates you from all kinds of imaginative philosophies. He brings you to a state of wordless silence. The failure of religion and philosophy is that they all become substitutes for real experience. Beware of it. Merlin and Florence Two Denver secretaries were chatting over lunch. I was raped last night by a scholar, whispered Merlin. Really? said Florence. How did you know he was a scholar? I had to help him. <laughs> Scholars are crippled people, paralyzed hung up in their heads. They have forgotten everything except words. They are great system makers. They accumulate beautiful theories. They arrange them in beautiful patterns. But that's all they do. They know nothing. Although they deceive others and deceive themselves too that they know. A man went into a restaurant to have some lunch and when the waiter came, he said, I will have a plate of kidlies, please. What? said the waiter. Kidlies, said the man. 
What? said the waiter again. So the man picked up the menu and pointed at what he wanted. Kidneys, he repeated firmly. Ah, said the waiter, I see, kidneys. Why didn't you say so? But said the man, I said kidneys, diddle I. It is very difficult to pull them out. They live in their own words. They have forgotten that reality has anything else in it than words. They are utterly deaf, deaf, utterly blind. They can't see, they can't hear, they can't feel. Words are words, you can't see them, you can't feel them. But they can give you great ego. A cannibal rushed into his village to spread the word that a hunting party had captured a Christian theologian. Good, said one of the cannibals enthusiastically, I have always wanted to try a bologna sandwich. Beware of getting lost into philosophy and religion if you really want to know what truth is. Beware of being Christian, Hindu, Mohammedan, because they are all ways of being deaf, blind, insensitive. Three deaf British gentlemen were travelling on a train bound for London. The first said, Pardon me, conductor, what station is this? Wembley, sir, answered the conductor. Good Lord, exclaimed the second Englishman, I am sure it is Thursday. <laughs> so am I, agreed the third. Let us all go into the bar, car, and have a drink. That's how it goes on between professors, philosophers, theologians. They can't hear what is being said. They have their own ideas and they are so full of them. So many thick layers of words that reality cannot reach to them.
Zen says, if you can drop philosophizing, there is a hope for you. The moment you drop philosophizing, you become innocent like a child. But remember, the Zen emphasis on not knowing does not mean that it emphasizes ignorance. Not knowing is not ignorance. Not knowing is a state of innocence. There is neither knowledge nor ignorance. Both have been transcended. An ignorant man is one who ignores. That's how the word comes. The root is ignoring. The ignorant person is one who goes on ignoring something essential. In that way, the knowledgeable person is the most ignorant person, because he knows about heaven and hell, and he knows nothing about himself. He knows about God, but he knows nothing who he is. What is this consciousness inside? He is ignorant, because he is ignoring the most fundamental thing in life. He is ignoring himself. He is keeping himself occupied in the non-essential. He is ignorant, full of knowledge, yet utterly ignorant. Not knowing simply means a state of no mind. Mind can be knowledgeable, mind can be ignorant. If you have little information, you will be thought ignorant. If you have more information, you will be thought knowledgeable. Between ignorance and knowledge, the difference is of quantity, of degrees. The ignorant person is less knowledgeable, that's all. The very knowledgeable person may appear to the world as less ignorant, but they are not different, their qualities are not different. Zen emphasizes the state of not knowing. Not knowing means one is neither ignorant nor knowledgeable. One is not knowledgeable because one is not interested in mere information. And one is not ignorant because one is not ignoring. One is not ignoring the most essential quest. One is not ignoring his own being, 
his own consciousness. Not knowing has a beauty of its own, a purity. It is just like a pure mirror. A lake utterly silent, reflecting the stars and the trees on the bank. The state of not knowing is the highest point in man's evolution. Knowledge is introduced to the mind after physical birth. Knowing is always present, like the heart knowing how to beat, or a seed knowing how to sprout, or a flower knowing how to grow, or a fish knowing how to swim. And it is quite other than knowing about things. So please make a distinction between knowledge and knowing. The state of not knowing is really the state of knowing. Because when all knowledge and all ignorance have disappeared, you can reflect existence as it is. Knowledge is acquired after your birth, but knowing comes with you. And the more knowledge you acquire, the more and more knowing starts disappearing because it becomes covered with knowledge. Knowledge is exactly like dust and knowing is like a mirror. The heart of knowing is now. Knowledge is always of the past. Knowledge means memory. Knowledge means you have known something, you have experienced something, and you have accumulated your experience. Knowing is of the present. And how you can be in the present? If you are too much clinging to knowledge, that is impossible. You will have to drop clinging to knowledge. And knowledge is acquired. Knowing is your nature. Knowing is always now. The heart of knowing is now. And the heart of now, the word now is beautiful. The heart of it is the word oh, which is also a symbol for zero. The heart of now is zero, nothingness. When the mind is no more, 
when you are just a nothingness, just a zero, Buddha calls it exactly sunya, the zero. Then everything that surrounds you, all that is within and without, is known, but known not as knowledge, known in a totally different way, the same way that the flower knows how to open, and the fish knows how to swim, and the child knows in the mother's womb how to grow, and you know how to breathe, even while asleep. Even in a coma, you go on breathing, and the heart knows how to beat. This is a totally different kind of knowing, so intrinsic, so internal. It is not acquired, it is natural. Knowledge is got in exchange of knowing. And when you have got knowledge, what happens to knowing? You forgot knowing. You have got knowledge and you have forgotten knowing. And knowing is the door to the Divine. Knowledge is a barrier to the Divine. Utility is there of knowledge in the world. Yes, it will make you more efficient, skillful, a good mechanic, this and that. You may be able to earn in a better way. All that is there, and I am not denying it. And you can use knowledge in that way, but don't let knowledge become a barrier to the Divine. Whenever knowledge is not needed, put it aside, and drown yourself into a state of not knowing, which is also a state of knowing, real knowing. Knowledge is got in exchange of knowing, and knowing is forgotten. It has only to be remembered. You have forgotten it. The function of the Master is to help you remember it. The mind has to be reminded. For knowing is nothing but recognition, recollection, remembrance. When you come across some truth, when you come across a master and you see the truth of his being, something within you immediately recognizes it. 
not even a single moment is lost. You don't think about it whether it is true or not. Thinking needs time. When you listen to the truth, when you feel the presence of truth, when you come close in communion with truth, something within you immediately recognizes it with no argumentation. Not that you accept, not that you believe, you recognize. And it could not be recognized if it was not already known somehow, somewhere, deep down within you. This is the fundamental approach of Zen. Has your baby brother learned to talk yet? Ashur replied, little Mike, now mommy and daddy are teaching him to keep quiet. The society teaches you knowledge. So many schools, colleges, universities, they are all devoted in creating knowledge, more knowledge, implanting knowledge into people. And the function of the master is just the opposite. What your society has done to you, the master has to undo it. His function is basically anti-social. And nothing can be done about it. The master is bound to be anti-social. Jesus, Pythagoras, Buddha, Lao Tzu, they are all antisocial. Not that they want to be antisocial, but the moment they recognize the beauty of not knowing, the vastness of not knowing, the innocence of not knowing, the moment the taste of not knowing happens to them, they want to impart it to others. They want to share it to others. And that very process is antisocial. People ask me why the society is against me. The society is not against me. I am antisocial. But I can't help. I have to do my thing. I have to share what has happened to me. And in that very sharing, I go against the society. 
its whole structure is rooted in knowledge and the master's function is to destroy knowledge to destroy ignorance both and to bring you back your childhood jesus says unless you are like small children you will not enter into the kingdom of god the society in fact makes you uprooted from your nature it pushes you off your center it makes you neurotic conducting a university course a famous psychiatrist was asked by a student sir you have told us about the abnormal person and his behavior but what about the normal person when we find him replied the psychiatrist we cure him the society goes on curing normal people every child is born normal remember then the society cures him and then he becomes abnormal he becomes hindu mohammedan christian communist catholic there are so many kinds of neuroses in the world you can choose you can shop whatever kind of neurosis you want society creates all kinds in all sizes and shapes neuroses are available to everybody's liking zen cures you of your abnormality it makes you again normal it makes you again ordinary it does not make you a saint remember it does not make you a holy person remember it simply makes you an ordinary person back to your nature back to your source this beautiful anecdote ascending to the high seat dozen zinzi said zen master hojin studied with kishin zinzi once kishin zinzi asked him jojha where do you go hojin said i am making pilgrimage aimlessly kishin said what is the matter of your pilgrimage hojin said i don't know kishin said not knowing is the most intimate hojin suddenly attained great 
enlightenment. Now, meditate over each word of this small anecdote. It contains all the great scriptures of the world. It contains more than all the great scriptures contain. Because it contains also not knowing. Ascending to the high seat, this is just a symbolic, metaphorical way of saying something very significant. Zen says that man is a ladder. The lowest rung is the mind and the highest rung of the ladder is the no mind. Zen says only people who have attained to no mind are worthy enough to ascend to the highest seat and speak to people. Not everybody. It is not a question of a priest or a preacher. Christians train preachers. They have theological colleges where preachers are trained. What kind of foolishness is this? Yes, you can teach them the art of eloquence. You can teach them how to begin a speech, how to end a speech. And that's exactly what is being taught in Christian theological colleges. Even what gestures to make when to give a pause, when to speak slowly and when to become loud. Everything is cultivated. And these stupid people Go on preaching about Jesus. And they have not asked a single question. Once I visited a theological college, the principal was my friend, he invited me. I asked him, can you tell me in what theological college Jesus has learned Because the Sermon on the Mount is so beautiful. He must have learned in some theological college. In what theological college Buddha had learned? Muhammad was absolutely uneducated. But the way he speaks, the way he sings in Quran is superb. It is coming from somewhere else. 
it is not education it is not knowledge it is coming from a state of no mind little johnny was the son of the local minister one day his teacher was asking the class what they wanted to be when they grew up when it was his turn to answer he replied i want to be a minister just like my father the teacher was impressed with his determination and so she asked him why he wanted to be a preacher well he said thoughtfully since i have to go to church on sunday anyway i figure it would be more interesting to be the guy who stands up and else than the one who has to sit down and listen you can create preachers but you cannot create masters in india the seat from where a master speaks is called vyas peeth vyas was one of the greatest masters india has ever produced one of the ancient most buddhas he was so influential his impact was so tremendous that thousands of books exist in his name which were not written by him but his name became so important that anybody who wanted to sell his book would put his name on it instead of putting his own name his name was enough guarantee that the book is valuable now scholars go crazy in deciding which is the real book written by vyas the seat from where a buddha speaks is called vyas peeth the seat of the buddha nobody else is allowed to ascend on the seat unless one has attained to the no mind ascending to the high seat is a metaphor it says the man has attained to the state of no mind he has attained the state of not knowing which is true knowing dozen zenzi said zen master hozen studied with kesin zenzi once kesin zenzi asked him joza where do you go this is a zen way of saying what is your goal in life where are you going it also implies another question from where are you coming what is the source of your life 
it also implies who are you because if you can answer where you are coming from and where you are going to that means you must be knowing who are you three most important questions who am i from where i come from and to where i am going to Kesin Zinzi asked Zosa Where do you go Hosen said I am making pilgrimage aimlessly See the beauty of the answer This is how tremendously beautiful things transpire between a master and a disciple he said i am making pilgrimage aimlessly if you are going to kaaba then it is not a pilgrimage because there is an aim in it if you are going to jerusalem or to kashi it is not a pilgrimage wherever there is a goal there is ambition and wherever there is an ambition there is mind desire and with desire there is no possibility of any pilgrimage a pilgrimage can only be aimless see the beauty of it only a zen master can approve of it and only a zen disciple can say something so tremendously revolutionary i am making pilgrimage aimlessly the master asks where are you going and the disciple says nowhere in particular aimlessly just like a dry leaf in the wind wherever the wind takes it to the north the north is beautiful to the south then the south is beautiful because all is divine wherever you go you encounter him there is no need of having any aim the moment you have any aim you become tense you become concentrated on the aim the moment you have any aim you are separate from the whole you have a private goal and to have a private goal is the root of all ego not to have a private goal is to be one with the whole and to be one with the whole is possible only if you are aimlessly wandering a zen person is a wanderer aimlessly with no goal
with no future. Moment to moment he lives without any mind, just like the dry leaf. He makes himself available to the winds. He says to the winds, take me wherever you want. If he rises on the winds high in the sky, he does not feel superior to others who are lying down on the ground. If he falls to the ground, he does not feel inferior to others who are rising into the wind high in the sky. He cannot fail. He cannot ever be frustrated. When there is no goal, how can you fail? And when you are not going anywhere in particular, how can you be in frustration? Expectation brings frustration. Private ambitions bring failures. The Zen person is always victorious, even in his failure. Kesin said, what is the matter of your pilgrimage? He asks again to make certain, because he may be simply repeating. He may have read in some old Zen scriptures that one should be aimless. When one is aimless, life is a pilgrimage. Hence the Master asked again, what is the matter of your pilgrimage? Hosin said, I don't know. Now, if Hosin was only repeating some knowledge gathered from his scriptures or others, he would have again answered the same thing, maybe paraphrased in a different way. He would have been like a parrot. The master is asking the same question, but the answer has changed, totally changed. He simply says, I don't know. How can you know if you are aimless? How can you know when you don't have any goal? How you can be when there is no goal? The ego can exist only with goals, ambitions, desires. Hosin said, I don't know. His answer, his response is not parrot-like. He has not repeated the same thing again. The question was the same, remember, but the answer has changed. That's the difference between a knowledgeable person and a man of knowing the wise man, 
who functions out of a state of not knowing. I don't know. Kesin must have been tremendously happy. He said, not knowing is the most intimate. Knowledge creates a distance between you and reality. The more you know, the bigger is the distance. So many books between you and reality. If you have crammed the whole Encyclopedia Britannica, then so much distance between you and reality. Unless reality tries to find you through the jungle of Encyclopedia Britannica, or you try to find reality through the jungle of Encyclopedia Britannica, there is not going to be any meeting. The more you know, the greater is the difference, the distance. The less you know, the thinner is the distance. If you don't know at all, there is no distance at all. Then you are face to face to reality, not even face to face. You are it. That's why the Master said, not knowing is the most intimate. Remember, such a beautiful sutra, so exquisite, so tremendously significant, not knowing is the most intimate. The moment you don't know, intimacy arises between you and reality. A great friendship arises. It becomes a love affair. You are embracing reality. Reality penetrates you as lovers penetrate each other. You melt into it like snow melting in the sun. You become one with it. There is nothing to divide. It is knowledge that divides. It is not knowing that unites. Listening to this tremendously significant sutra, not knowing is the most intimate. Hojin suddenly attained great enlightenment. He must have been very close, obviously. When he said, I don't know, he must have just on the borderline. When he said, I am making pilgrimage aimlessly, he was just one step away from the borderline. When he said, I don't know, even that one step has disappeared. He is standing at the borderline. And when the master said, when the master confirmed, illuminated, and said, not knowing is the most intimate. When the master patted him on the back, not knowing is the most intimate. Hosein suddenly attained great enlightenment. Immediately, that very moment he crossed the border. Immediately, 
his last clinging disappears. Now, even he cannot say, I don't know. The stupid person says, I know. The intelligent person comes to know that I don't know. But there is a transcendence of both, when only silence prevails, nothing can be said, nothing can be uttered. Hosin entered that silence, that great enlightenment, and suddenly, immediately, without a lapse of time, Enlightenment is always sudden, because it is not an achievement. It is already the case. It is only a remembering. It is only a reminding. It is only a recognition. You are already enlightened. Just you are not aware of it. It is awareness of that which is already the case. Meditate over this beautiful anecdote. Let this sutra resound in your being, not knowing is the most intimate. And one never knows. Sudden enlightenment may happen to you as it happened to Hosin. It is going to happen to many people here. Because what I am doing every day is destroying your knowledge. Destroying and destroying all your clingings and strategies of the mind. Any day when your mind collapses, when you cannot hold it together anymore, there is bound to be sudden enlightenment. It is not an attainment, Hence it can happen in a single moment, instantly. Society has forced you to forget it. My work here is to help you remember it. All the teachings, the sages expounded, are no more than commentaries on your sudden cry, Ah, this enough for today.